So good to have everybody here today. I want to say good morning to those who stayed home because it was cold. Hello. In some ways, you may be the smart ones. I'm not sure. But we're hardy, aren't we? We're hardy. We can do this. Hallelujah. Well, you notice I have the microphone again today. Well, there's a reason for that. Um, this last week, I had the, a great uh, honor and great privilege to be able to attend and, and uh, actually speak at the National Conference of the DCPI um, Church Planting Movement uh, Ministry out in San Diego. It was tough, I know. It was tough. It was, it was tough coming back. Yeah, it was. It was, it was tough. But uh, just had an amazing opportunity, met people from all over the world, uh, met a, a, a gentleman from Kenya who has uh, been instrumental in training over 100,000 church planters in, in uh, Africa, has planted, they, his organization plants 100 churches a year, uh, had an opportunity, well, actually I, I taught in the same sessions uh, as he did, and then uh, there was the second, the other presenter was the, uh, the national director, the national uh, the director of uh, evangelism and church planting for the Nazarene Church of America. They have over 5,000 churches and, and they are planting 140 to 150 churches a year. And I was able to, I was the third speaker and I said, we have five! Exactly. See, that was the thing. Everybody went, oh, okay, anybody can do it. If you can do it, anybody can do it. So we just have put it all into perspective, but I just had a, it was an amazing time. Wonderful people and, and uh, be able to do that. So with that, I, flying back, you, everybody knows how the flights have been lately uh, with airlines and everything. Didn't know for sure, you know, just in case I didn't make it back, I had somebody set somebody else up. So Pastor Peter is going to minister to us this morning after the announcements and the offerings. Good morning. Good morning. All right. So uh, for the offering teaching today, I'm going to begin with a very familiar verse. Um, in Philippians 4.19, the Apostle Paul says this, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So uh, many Christians like to quote this verse as a promise of financial provision, and it is. Uh, but it's important to look at the particular context of Paul's statement. Uh, when I attended Karis Bible College, Rick McFarlane, uh, one of my favorite instructors, had a saying that I've always kept in mind. Uh, Rick used a play on words and would often say, when you take the text out of context, you're left with a con. It's important. I'll say it again. When you take the text out of context, you're left with a con. Um, this truth applies to all of the writings of the Bible, including the passages that address money, offerings, and God's provision, like we have here. So let's look at the context of Philippians 4.19. Um, first of all, this verse is part of Paul's letter to the believers at Philippi. Um, and if you look at the beginning of his letter, Paul greets them like this. I'm going to start in chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, and I'm going to be reading from the Amplified Bible. All right. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, and every prayer of mine I always make my entreaty 
and petition for you all with joy, delight. I thank my God for your fellowship, your sympathetic cooperation and contributions and partnership in advancing the good news, the gospel, from the first day you heard it until now. So this is who Paul is writing to. Um, So notice that Paul is grateful for their fellowship. Uh, The NASB translation says their participation, and here the Amplified says their sympathetic cooperation and contributions and partnership in advancing the gospel. So I want you to note that word, uh, partnership. So moving forward to chapter 4, let's read some of the verses that provide the immediate context for verse 19, and I'm going to start with uh, verse 14, so Philippians 4, 14. Uh, But it was right and commendable and noble of you to contribute for my needs and to share my difficulties with me. And you Philippians yourselves well know that in the early days of the gospel ministry, when I left Macedonia, no church assembly entered into partnership with me and opened up a debt and credit account in giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent me contributions for my needs, not only once, but a second time. Not that I seek or am eager for your gift, but I do seek and and am eager for the fruit which increases to your credit, the harvest of blessing that is accumulating to your account. But I have your full payment and more. I have everything I need and am amply supplied, now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent me. They are the fragrant odor of an offering and sacrifice which God welcomes and in which he delights. And my God will liberally supply Fill to the full your every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So in verses 15 and 16, the Apostle Paul is commending the Philippian believers because they were the only ones who continued to give financial support to him. The only ones who gave repeated offerings towards Paul's ministry, towards his missionary work, spreading the gospel and establishing churches throughout the region. Um, Paul makes a point to call out this fact. You sent a gift more than once for my needs, is what many versions would say. So in other, words, you, in other words, you could say that Paul is addressing his financial partners in these verses. And in verse 19 is speaking specifically to them, speaking of the particular benefits of their faithful partnership. Uh, you could, and I would, I would say that is the literal reading here. And then in verses 17 and 18, notice how Paul describes the natural earthly transaction of giving monetary gifts, and he directly equates these contributions to an offering that God receives, and in some kind of spiritual, supernatural transaction, these are deposited in a heavenly account. So a gift on earth has become riches in glory. And so the Philippians' liberal gifts to Paul on earth were offerings to God, uh, their personal deposits, you could say, in the bank of heaven. So they became God's riches and glory, the riches by which Paul promises that God would liberally supply all of their needs. So can you see this? Can you see how the context sheds light on this particular promise? So the reason I believe the Holy Spirit put this message on my heart for today is this. Um, At the beginning of the month, we held the week devoted to God. Uh, We came together as as members of RVFM, River Valley Fellowship of Ministries, to pray, uh, to worship, to encourage one another, and to seek the Lord's leading 
for the Valley Vision, which is our vision to have 24 churches along the St. Croix River Valley. So if you attended, you'll recall that on the last night of services, Pastor John had everyone in the congregation raise our hands, and he exhorted us that we each had a part to play in the Valley Vision. He asked that we all pray and seek direction on exactly what our participation would look like. Well, I believe that for some of us here, that participation involves financial partnership. It means a commitment to giving regular, repeated, continued offerings to RVFM to support the planting and growth of these 24 churches. So if that is you, if God has spoken or is speaking this to you, then you have the opportunity to begin this morning. And with it, you can take encouragement from Philippians 4.19 and can stand on God's word that he shall supply all your needs. So the ways to give are on the screen. Yep. So a box in the back. You can mail it to the office. You can drop it at the office. Uh, You can donate online. So let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this opportunity to support the vision and the ministry of RVCC and of RVFM to do our part in spreading the gospel and building your church. Thank you that you are pleased to receive our offerings onto yourself. We praise you for your faithful provision for our every need. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my name is Peter. It's a little ringy. I can't tell you how many times I heard that back there from John. It's like, John, it's your ears. Your ears are ringing. <laughs> All right, we're done. <laughs> All right, so my name is Peter, and I just thought I would uh, introduce myself a little bit because I know there's so many new faces. Uh, you may not know me super well, but uh, you can tell that I have an accent. Uh, I'm from Hungary originally, and if you have been involved with this church for any length of time, then uh, you probably know that this church, um, besides the calling for the valley, just really has a strong uh, calling for uh, Eastern Europe. And they have been doing mission work in Eastern Europe for, I think, over 15 years or over, over 20 years. And uh, I guess to make a long story short, they just picked me up over there on one of their trips. <laughs> but, okay, that's, that's a joke. Actually, there's a, there's a lot more that goes into it, and I'm, I'm not, I don't want to talk about it to, um, to bore, especially the youth kids with it, because they probably heard my story so many times. But just really quickly, in a nutshell, I was attending uh, university here in the States, in Wisconsin, La Crosse. And um, this church has been praying uh, for a Hungarian interpreter, uh, preferably a Hungarian guy who speaks both uh, English fluently, or semi-fluently, and speaks Hungarian fluently, uh, who is a Christian guy who would be able to uh, go on these mission trips with them and help them interpret. And uh, believe it or not, I ended up meeting this church over in Romania, in, uh, in some village called Sekehid in Romania, because when I was in college, the Lord spoke to me and said, whenever I go home for the summertime, 
to go and go to this village and build a, a house for a gypsy family. And that's, that used, that's the same gypsy slum that uh, this church has been ministering to for 20 years. And, and then John asked me if I would be willing to interpret for, uh, on one of their mission trips. And I said, sure, why not? Um, and um, after college, uh, they basically called me in for an interview, see if I would be willing to not just work with missions, but work with the, with the youth program here. And this is the, the point that I, I want to make is, is I remember the time when John approached me and said, hey, what, what are your plans after school? And I, I literally told it to his face that um, I will do anything uh, except work in a church. So I don't know what kind of a proposal you have for me, um, but as long as it doesn't have to do with, a, with a working in the church, I'm in. Well, how many of you know, on, on a more serious note, and I, I tell this to the youth kids all the time, you know, a really good way to miss God's will for your life is to have some but statements, uh, where you say, I do anything but, or God, I, I go anywhere except that. Like, if... If you just search your heart, and if you have something like that in your heart, you may want to check your heart, because um, you're going to miss it. Um, and this is what's interesting. If you would flip your Bible over to 1 Kings 17, I just want to read a quick scripture here that I remember this concept and hearing it, and I attended Cares Bible College as well. Uh, but it's just... It's, it just applies in so many areas in my life and in your life as well. Um, if you can just understand and get a hold of the scripture. This is 1 Kings 17. This is the story of Elijah. Uh, Elijah predicting the drought that's coming. So 1 Kings uh, 17, I'm reading from uh, verse 1. It says, Now Elijah the Tishabite, who was who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. The word of the Lord came to him, saying, Go away from here, and then turn eastward, and hide yourself by the brook of Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. And I catch this in verse 4. It shall be that you will drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to provide for you, everybody say, there. there. To provide for you there. And this concept of vision and provision. When, you know when God gives you a vision, whether that's for your church or for your life, he gives you the vision, and the provision is there. Amen. It's not where you are, but it's there where the vision is. Amen. Amen? And I've seen that in my own life where, you know, you're, you're asking God for provision or you're, you're believing for God. But how many of you know just Elijah's story that his provision wasn't where he was? It says, go there, and that's where the ravens will feed you. Amen? And that is just, I, I can testify to the scripture that that... This is the word of God. This works. I've seen it work in my life where God tells me that this is what you're supposed to be doing. Then your provision will be there. But it's, you're not going to start seeing the provision until you actually go there. Or at least you step out and you're on your way to what God called you to do. Amen? Now, 
This is where I want to get on just a little bit as an introduction about this church and the vision that there is this, for this church. In, uh, if I think back in 2017, uh, this, I, I guess, so I have been here since 2015, September. And it's, it's been very interesting for me to be on staff uh, watching this church, uh, almost kind of like a fly on the wall, yet you know, very much participating in things actively, but seeing how things have turned. And in 2017, Pastor John basically got a vision uh, from the Lord for this church, for this body, uh, to start planting churches, okay? Uh, it's a crazy vision. It really is. I mean, it is just absolutely nuts, if you ask me. <laughs> uh, that's my opinion. <laughs> uh, but it, it's like, plant however many churches in the next 10 years, like 20-some churches in, in the next 10 years. And I will, I'm going to be honest with you, and PJ may not like this, but I really like struggle with I used to struggle, I should say. I, you know, if you ask my wife, she may say I still struggle, depending on the day, with the vision, depending on how I wake up. But I used to really struggle with it. Like, like this is just like impossible or, or just out of our league kind of deal. And, and the reason I struggle, I know this because I did some uh, self-reflecting. I have what you would call a a per type A personality, or, or in my case, I think you can call it a triple A uh, personality, which it, I, you can describe it with like high achievement, you know, like competitiveness, impatient, uh, some of those personality traits where I just like, if, like, I think we were in a meeting the other day and, and we were talking, I think it was a, a sound ministry meeting, and, and I, we were at the end and I was like, what decisions did we make? And then, I think Jamie looks at me, he's like, Peter, not, you don't have to end every meeting with making the decision. And I was like, yes, we do. I mean, <laughs> what are we going to be doing tomorrow when we wake up? You know, like, we can't just chit-chat. Like, let's, let's make things happen. Like, that's, that's just how I am. Like, I need to know, like, the plan, and at least not the whole plan, but what is the, the next step. And when, when you start talking about a plan that is to plant 20-some churches, it's like, in my heart, it's like, that's overwhelming, one. But two, I, you know, looking at things in the natural, I think, I mean, we can barely keep this one open, you know? Like, like, how, are we, like how are we supposed to plant this many churches? Like, if, if, if we were Eagle Brook or something like that, you know, that has the resources, the supplies, the people, I'm like, yeah, I can get bored on planting 20-some churches in the next 10 years. But, but looking at, you know, purely the natural, it's like, this is not... This is not doable. So then, then I get frustrated, you know, with the vision, or John. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, so what do you do, you know, as, 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 a, as a Christian, as a good Christian, you start praying, amen? You start praying like, Lord, like, you got to help me here because, because I'm, I'm overwhelmed, like, you know, and, and like, I, I don't want to be the black sheep who's like, we're not supposed to do this, you know, like, like, Lord, you got to help me. And, and guess what? He does. The, the Holy Spirit is, is so good. And he told me three things uh, about, about this struggle uh, of mine. And this is what he said. Uh, the first one was, Peter, what do you think is the greatest fear of a pastor? 
what do you think is the greatest fear of a pastor? And I was like, hmm, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, and I, I'm, I mean, you know, I, I think I came up with the answer pretty easily. I'm like, it's failure, you know? They say, I think there's a statistics out there that 80% of church starts up uh, fail. Uh, as a pastor, well, I mean, that's the greatest fear of, I think, any human being. It's like, I do something, I try something, and I fail. It doesn't work out, right? So, so failure is one of the, the greatest fear. So, you know, when I thought about that, I'm like, wow. Like, you know, like, you think, just think about most pastors out there. Like, the way they probably see their congregation is like, this is, you know, this is our safe place. I got my sheep here, you know, like, we come here every Sunday. Uh, why try something else? Like, 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 this is safe. So to say, like, let's do, let's start 10 churches or whatever, like, or 20-some churches, like, that is like, that, that cannot come up from his flesh. And that's, that's what the Lord spoke to me, like, that, that's how you know it's not from John. That's how I know it's not from John, because there's not a man with a right mind that would come up with that. Amen? <laughs> like, like, it just, it, it has to be from God. So that was one. Number two, number two, and the Lord directed my attention to the Great Commission. So he asked me, Peter, what is the Great Commission? And, and it says uh, in Matthew uh, 28, 19, you can find it, go into all the word and preach the gospel. Notice the first uh, word with two letters. It's go, right? And I, I remember uh, one of the professors in Keris was talking about this, and it just hit home run for me that if you look at the church today as a, as a whole, most of the church, and I'm, I'm not pointing fingers, but the message of the church somewhere changed from, from go into all the word to come, right? Like, come over here. Come, we have some empty seats. Come, this is an awesome place. Why don't you come, be part of us? You know, come, come, come. Let's fill this place up. And then let's go home and then let's come back. Come back, you know, and, and then let's do a better live stream, you know, so we can reach more people who would watch this. And then they would come over here. And that's not the message. The message should be go, like, the, like send, right? Like take out. And, and not many churches are, are doing that, but if you think about this vision of church planting, I mean, I mean, like, how selfless is that? And that to say, here we are, let's just take this middle section and let's uproot you guys from here and let's plant you guys and let, let's have you guys start another church somewhere else. Like, that is a selfless attitude, and that's how you know it just bears witness with me and with the Holy Spirit that it's from God, because it's not about us, it's not about this place, but let's, you know, it's about somebody else who needs to hear the gospel, or some other city that needs, needs a church planted in it, or, or some other people who need to hear the good news and be set free, amen? So that was number two, and then number three was, was uh, just the Lord asked me, think about the concept of sowing and reaping. Um, we, we know in, I think it's in Luke, um, 16, Luke 16, 10, uh, you know what? I'm going to turn there just real quick. This is, I'm sure you guys heard this from some of the offering messages because it's just an awesome scripture, um, uh, to get our minds right when it comes to the matter of money. Luke 16, 10. 
this is a parable where Jesus is talking about the unrighteous steward. And uh, I'm not going to read the whole story, but here at the end of the parable, Jesus said, He who is faithful in a very little things is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in the very little things is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with the true uh, riches? And if you know the parable, when it, Jesus talks about the little things, or the least of these things, is referring to money. Like he's literally referring to money. So, you know, in the kingdom, in the kingdom, the least of the responsibility or things is, is, is money, right? And again, I know we had awesome offering message about this, um, about this concept, is that if you can't be faithful with your money, how are you going to be trusted with greater things in the kingdom, right? So related to the vision, I just felt like the Lord asking me, um, so if you, if, if you look at the concept of money, and that's the least of the things, like, why is Jesus bringing that up? Because he knows that like, that hits close to home for many of us. I know for me it does, right? Like, you know, when it comes to money, it's like, ah, uh, you know, like letting go of it is, is just, it's just sometimes it's so hard, you know, when the Lord tells you you're supposed to sow into here, sow into there, but it's like, but I, you know, but then there's going to be a lack or, or there, where there may be a lack, right? There's that fear, you know, that comes up in my mind. And then the Lord just directed my attention to like, what do you think, like, how is the church, like, what is, what is the least of the, I don't even know how to phrase this, but what matters for a church the most? You know, like, what is, what is the thing that the church holds most precious, you know? And, and you could say, well, same money, but I would say it's your congregants, actually. Because, you know, in a church concept, your congregants are, you know, giving into your offering and all, all that stuff. And, but ultimately, it's, it's warm bodies. <laughs> it's like you. That's, that's what for a church is, is, in a sense, the most precious, right? Like, without you, if half of you start leaving, uh, then, then, you know, offering is going down. And then, you know, the staff starts freaking out or whatever. Like, so for a church, it's, it's, the, it's the body, it's the congregant. Now... If you think, consider the concept of sowing and reaping, then uh, what should a church be sowing? And you could say, exactly, you could say money, but really, what is more selfish, selfless um, than, than that is sowing your congregants into somewhere else. I mean, that, again, is just got to be from the heart of God, where, where you have the boldness to say, no, here's 40 of you, but we're going to send you somewhere else and start something else. I mean, that to me, as I just started meditating on it, I'm like, that's straight from the heart of God. I mean, that's, it can't be from anybody else. So all that being said, I just really felt like um, the Lord was telling me that consider these things and um, realize that this vision that's on John's heart and on and this church is really from him. It's not from man. Amen. Amen. All right, so why don't you turn your Bible over to Mark 4. Mark 4. So I'm, I want to talk to you today. This, everything that I just shared right now is not necessarily related to what I'm about to share right now, but um, I guess you can call it that was just my introduction, but 
don't worry, don't worry. I, I'm really, um, I really only have one point that I actually want to share in this sermon, and that's that's all I want to talk about, and then, uh, and then I'll turn it over to John here at the end. But if you open your Bible at Mark four, uh, chapter one, uh, if if you have been to Caris Bible College, I would say this is the scripture that Andrew Womack wrote uh, in the Bible. This is the parable of the the sower and and uh, and the uh, the sower and the soil. And if you are a Caris graduate, I just want to say right now that don't uh, tune me out yet, okay? Because I understand that this parable is like what you would call the capstone of cares. And this is something that like Andrew Womack like hammered home uh, from the first day of class uh, about the concept of seed being sold. Amen? But like I said, I'm going to read the parable, but don't tune me out because I actually want to approach it from a little different perspective that I just feel like the Lord has been speaking to me, to my heart, and it's been very convicting and I think he, he wants me to speak it to you this morning, okay? So I'm going to read, I'm going to read quite a bit of scripture in Mark 4, uh, verse 1, and I'm going to read till 20, the parable of the sword. And, and he actually, all right, here we go. He began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large crowd gathered to him, that he got into the boat in the sea and sat down, and the whole crowd was by the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying uh, to them in teachings, in his teachings. Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. And other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprung up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell in the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded, uh, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he was saying this, he who has ears, let him hear. As... As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And, and he was saying to them, To you it has been given the mysteries of the kingdom, but to those who are outside get everything in parables, so that while seeing they may not see and not perceive, they may see and not perceive, and while hearing they may hear and not understand, otherwise they may, might return and be forgiven. And then I'm just going to keep going here. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? That's actually a line that you may want to underline in your Bible, and, and I'll, I'll say it in a second why. But do you not understand this parable? How will, and how will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are besides the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary, 
And then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others, and others are the ones whom the seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who heard the word, but the worries of the word and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones whom the seed was sown on the good soil and they hear the word and they accept it and they bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Amen? Now, I just want to, I just want to, start by saying this you know for for so many years before i actually attended cares bible college i would just flip through this set of scriptures uh with this kind of an understanding you know that that jesus here is talking about the gospel right that there are People out there, and I can relate to it, I, I, I got saved when I was 19 years old, but there are people out there who hear the gospel message, and some of them are like, you know, like the totally unfruitful ground where they just hear it, it goes in, it comes out, no change whatsoever, you know, they're going to uh, perish, and that's it. Or then there's other people who like, you know, those church people who come to church and they hear the gospel message and like, you know, they may start crying and they raise their hands, uh, but then they go home and they don't come back for church next week or whatever, you know, and then you never see them again. And they're like the ones who like got excited. There was a little bit of fruit there and then they're gone. And then there are the other ones who like come to church, they receive the gospel message and then other things in life, you know, being worried about job, you know, house, kids, whatever. And they just kind of like, eh, turn away from the church and they never really walk out their Christian calling and, and that's it. And then there's other ones like you right here and me who hear the gospel message, receive it and their lives change and, um, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we walk out whatever God has uh, called us to do in this life. Amen? But that's what I thought. That's, I, th- I used to think that that's all what that parable was, right? It was for the big crowds just like that. Uh, Jesus describes in, uh, different people and how they receive the gospel. But notice this, that and Andrew Womack makes this point that, again, just was so important when I read to you at, at the scripture of... Um, 4.13, Jesus said, do you not understand this parable? How, how will you understand all the other parables? So really that statement is something that Jesus said, and he never said anything like that with all the other parables. Meaning that this scripture, if you understand this set of parables, it's just really like powerful. Like this matters for you just to receive anything from God. And, and, and you know what? And that's, how, what, I, what I realized is that it's true. Like, this is not just about the gospel message. If you think about this parable, this is about every single promise that God speaks to you. Every word, every promise that comes from God, it, it basically goes through that process in your life and in my life. Meaning, you know, let me just give you a, a, a brief example. Like, you, you know, like, let's say, hey, Peter, God, you know God has a good plan for your life, and he wants to provide, and he wants to bless you. And I heard that, or when I was a young Christian, you know, I heard that, and I was like, awesome, yay, go God, this is awesome. And then, actually, sorry, let me back up. Let me back up like one ground where, where it's like, 
blah, whatever, I heard, yeah, blessings to you as well, brother, you know, like, and it's just like, there's no soil, no depth, it's just like, kind of like a Christian is saying, right, like, yeah, amen, blessings to you as well, God wants to bless you as well, thank you, and then I walk out of here, and nothing happens, right, and then, you know, moving a step forward, it's almost like levels of soil, there's the one where you say, no, Peter, I, I mean it, I just got this prophetic word, like, the Lord really wants to bless you, and like, he has a good plan for your life, and I, and I receive it, and I'm like, oh, I get encouraged. I'm like, yeah, I received that. And then I, you know, a day or two goes by, and I already forgot about it, right? And then there's other one level where I go, no, the Lord, like, is really speaking to me. Like, Peter, Matthew 6, 33 says, seek first the king, uh, kingdom, and everything else will be added unto you. And I actually, I, this happened in my life. I was like, when I was in college, graduating from college, I was like, is this true? Like, I think so. Like, you know, like it started to take root in my heart. And that's when I realized, no, you know what? Like, I can come up with a better job than, you know, or I can get a better job than working at church. But I feel like that's what the Lord is calling me to do. And, and, and it started to change my, you know, my heart. And I started to take stepped towards it, that promise, and it, and it fell into this good soil, and it started to grow, and, it, and it's growing, and I see it in my life. God is providing, you know, like, I mean, I left country behind, I left family behind, I have family here, you know, now I'm, I'm more of an American than most of you guys are, you know, like, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I grill every other day, you know, like, I don't know, what, what else do Americans do? I, uh, you know, I, I, I drive a Dodge. <laughs> um, anyways, but, but my point is that, and it's, it's, you start to see it bring fruit, and, but it's still, there's still, you know, the cares of the word, the weeds and the stuff can still grow up and choke it out. And where, where I'm like, I start to be focused on, let's say, our future house. You know, we don't have a house yet. And then I, I get jealous as other people do have houses. And then I get, um, I'm just using this as an example, not saying I am. You're good. <laughs> um, but like, you know, and then my focus gets off from trusting God. And if it gets on something else that's related to the word, that might not be a bad thing. It might be, you know, providing for your family, you know, for your kids or whatever. You need a new vehicle. But then it just takes the focus off. And it's actually now the focus shifted from walking what God called you and that promise that was in my heart onto some worldly things. And then it still can fail. And then the last ground, the fourth level, is where nowhere it's good ground. You know, and, and I start trusting God. I stand on the promise, and then, and then I start to bring uh, that it sees fruit. And then, and then even when there are cares of the word, it doesn't distract me, and I keep on track. I keep focused. And, it, and God will fulfill it, all the other promises. Amen? And that's, now, the point that I want to make to you, uh, that was just an example. But think about every other promise that comes from God for your life. And fill in the blank that I just, that I just said. Like, it, it, this concept works with it. Let's say it's healing in your physical body, right? Like, it almost like it goes through those stages. Like, you know, God wants you healed. Like, yeah, yeah. And, but then do you receive it? You know, do you, do you take it in? You know, do you meditate on it? Do you not waver from it? Do you let it, like, sink in? And, and then when other things happen, when the doctor's report comes out, like, you know, don't waver from it. Like, it goes, every promise of God goes through this parable in, in some sense. So, 
Here's the thing, and this is, this is really the point that I I'm, I'm just want to make this morning. Did you know that seed, I didn't know this actually. Uh, now, seed, when there's a seed, the seed, we think of seed like it's not perishable, but it's actually not true. I know that because my landlord and I were planting some grass seed, and he told me that, Peter, I have this bag of seed for you that's been sitting on my shelf for the last five years in the garage, and that will work. And we threw it out, and we watered it day and night, and nothing would grow. And I actually Googled it, and it says seed actually like, has a shelf life, and it, it will not germinate. However, the Word of God, we know, obviously, hopefully you know from 1 Peter 1.23, that it's unperishable seed. That's what 1 Peter 1.23 says, that you've been born again by unper- unperishable seed that is the living and enduring Word of God. Amen? So that's awesome. God's Word is God's Word, and His seed is, is not perishable. It doesn't, it doesn't expire. Amen? Aren't you thankful for that? Yes. But here's the point, that... So the seed is there, the promise is there, and there's not much you can do about that. I mean, God came up with it, amen? But what is something that you can do something about? It's the soil. Check your soil, amen? Like, it's the human heart, the ground. That's what matters. And I'm going to ruin my point, or my big left punch, is this is for the end, and I'm just going to say it right now up front, but... I cannot tell you how many times in my life with different promises of God, I would just think, you got to throw more seed at it. You know, like, man, I'm just not reading the Bible enough, or i got to look up more scriptures on healing, and I'm just like throwing seed out there. When, the, when the, there's nothing wrong with the seed. I actually, when the Lord spoke this to me, it was when I was planting with Mark, I was planting the grass seed, and we actually got some good seed, and I planted it, and we, and we, we threw it out, but, but um, I was, this was actually me, Mark, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I, I didn't prep the ground. Like, I just threw it out, and, because I was lazy. I just threw it out there, and I just watered it. You know, we turned on the water, and I'm like, it's not really growing that well. And then Mark told me, like, Peter, I got to get a trailer, we got to bring in some good soil, because the ground was so barren, so rough. Like, it's, nothing's going to grow there. Uh, doesn't matter how good of a Menard seed you buy. You know, you can buy not the $25 stuff, but the 35 you know, whatever that brand is. But it still doesn't matter. Like, if the soil, if the ground is bad, it's, it's not going to grow. So the point is this, that you may not be having a seed problem. You may be having a soil problem. So you got to check your heart if you're struggling with something, you know, there's some promise of the Lord that you're just standing on and you haven't seen it like, come to fruition, like, it may not be that you didn't read your Bible enough. Or you know, we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing of the Word of God, but that's, that's what the Lord spoke to me. It's like, you got to just stop chucking seed out there. Like, you actually got to work on the soil. Nothing is wrong with the seed. Amen? So let me just tell you this. This is what the Holy Spirit spoke to me. It's good for you to pray this every once in a while. Like, Holy Spirit, just show me areas where my heart may be hardened. And, he, and you know what? If you pray that and you just listen, you may be thinking you need healing in your body and you're just not seeing it. Um, and you think it's just because something is not working. But it may be there's something in your heart 
that's totally unrelated to healing. It may be something with relationships, where your heart is just hardened, and that's why the seed of the Word of God is just not coming in and not bearing, or not receiving it and not bearing fruit. So it's good for you to ask, you know, Holy Spirit, show me where my heart is, is hardened. Um, let me tell you this, quick example, or a few examples actually. A couple of years ago, my wife got into gardening, okay? That means I got into gardening. <laughs> Not by choice, but it was more along the lines of, honey, I have a new hobby. I'm going to do gardening now. Sweet, go for it. A day later, honey, could you till the ground? You know, like, it's, could you get the roller tiller from our in-laws and till the ground? Sure. Honey, now the bunnies are eating my stuff. Can you build a fence around the garden? <laughs> sure. Honey, um, I don't have time to water the stuff today. Can you water it? Sure, honey. <laughs> but believe it or not, it actually has been really good for me because how many of you know like biblical meditation is sometimes like reading a parable or something and you're actually doing, when you're actually doing the stuff that Jesus was like talking about, like you start to see it in like a whole different perspective and you, you almost get like understanding and wisdom of like, ah, that's what he meant. And one of the things I learned is when my wife asked me to till, roll or till the ground, the first year, it was just a grassy area where you decided this is where the, the garden will be. I mean, the first year, it was so hard to turn the ground over. It was painful with the weeds or the gra even the grass, and the grass has roots, you know, just... But I noticed, so then the second year, he asked me, uh, she asked me, like, can you do it again? And I said, sure, here we go. And I was expecting that it was going to be just as hard. And I was like, this is easier, like way easier. And then the third year, it was even much more easier. So again, the Holy Spirit spoke to me that, you know, if you check your heart for hardened areas, and the more you practice checking your heart and turning your heart and loosening the hard areas of your heart, it will get easier and easier. It's, it is so true. It is so true. Once, once you start out, it's hard at first, but it, the more you do it, it will get easier and e easier. Praise God. Also, just a little side note on the, on the gardening, uh, she, my, in my wife's defense, that she did ask me if I wanted to plant anything. And I said, yes, I would like uh, corn and soybeans. And she was like, corn and soybeans? Wait a second, you want a food plot for your deer, like not, not a garden. I was like, oh. I got caught, but. Okay, so I'm gonna wrap it up here pretty soon. But then again, just a few things that you may want to ask from yourself. You know, Lord, show me areas in my heart where my, my heart may be totally uh, infertile. Is that the word? Unfertile? English. Somebody help me here. Infertile. Okay, thank you. Infertile. Unproductive. Not bearing any fruit. Show me areas. Like, and barren. Yes. Like, you think about it, like there may be, let me just give you a couple examples just to throw out there. I, I know a lot of ministers, a lot of other pastors. I cannot tell you how many I know who are totally closed to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And why, you know, I ask, why is that? Well, it's because it's, it's concept that I would call they overcompensate. How many of you have, 
You know, remember the time when you were a teenager and you were first learning to drive. I remember when I was uh, back in Europe and, and I was driving with a teacher and, you know, you're like so focused, like you look down on the speedometer and, you know, the car starts to go towards the ditch. And I remember my instructor yelled at me like, Peter, pay attention. And I look up and I go like this. And I like, over, and I overcompensate, I jerk the vehicle and I, we almost go into this like swerving. Uh, and I remember my teacher, once I got control back, he yelled at me so severely. And again, like it was probably not been accepted in the US. Like he like was swearing at me. Uh, he would have probably been fired in the US. That's normal in Eastern Europe. But he was, he was swearing at me. And then, I mean, I mean, I was worked up. My heart was pumping just from the fact that, you know, what happened. But now he's, imagine your teacher is like screaming at you and swearing at you for like three solid minutes. And then he stops. Then I just remember, he says, Peter, you know why I did that? So that you would remember and you wouldn't do that again. <laughs> I, mean, I was like, I, and I do remember ever since. I mean, it just kind of got engraved to my soul. But um, my, it's a different teaching technique, but, but it works. It works. However, the point that I want to make, like how many of, now think about this though on a serious note, how many of us do that in real life with real life events where the gifts, you know, let's just use that example, the gifts get abused in church and we overcompensate and we say, you know, well, we're not going to be open to any of that then. How many, I can tell you stories that I'm not going to name names, but I know even pastors who like, where they prayed for someone and they didn't see the healing and the person died. And then they overcompensate and they say, well, that healing stuff, you know, that faded away with the when the apostles passed. But, you know, what about, what about other areas in, in your heart and in my heart? Where is it just totally, you know, like fertile? Well, like I, I'm, I'm believing for to see fruit in areas of my life, but yet I have some hardness of heart with relationships with some coworkers or, or, you know, whatever, volunteers, staff members, or just even a family. And you're believing and standing for something, but yet the Lord is trying to say like, dude, you, you gotta soften up the ground there because you're not receiving the seed of the healing word because there's something else wrong. Just search your heart, amen? You know, think about this, maybe ask this, you know, maybe your, your heart is, does have, you know, good soil, but you're still not seeing fruit. You know, does it need some watering? Sometimes, you know, that it may just be that you're standing on the word of God and it just needs some little bit of watering. And what does that mean? And I, I just felt like the Lord was speaking so much to, to me about this concept of watering when, it, when Arthur Menges was here. Do you guys, some of you may know Arthur Menges from South Africa, but he's a professor in Colorado. But he, I remember him sharing this story where he was, um, he was a pastor in South Africa, a faith preacher. And in his family, there was just sickness. And, and he's up there Sunday morning, he says, and I'm preaching healing from the pulpit. But then I go home and my family's sick. Well, in the South Africa, in the village, they, everybody knew everyone. So it's like, I cannot go to the doctor because the congregation will find out. So he says he would be driving to another city to see a different physicians. And, and then one day he just realized like, man, how hypocritical is that? 
you know, but he's doing it in, in a sense, protecting the word of God, right? I don't want to preach healing when I'm not walking in it. So that's what he was doing. And then if you guys know Arthur's story, his story, he says that he just got so sick of the religion and the, and the whatever. He got a gun out and he was going to blow his brains out in his church office upstairs. And then, uh, and then the Lord just spoke to him and radically changed his life and showered him with his love. And then he said, and this is the point I'm trying to make, that one day he is, um, two years after that experience, where God just started to like, speak to him about his love, about his mercy, about his grace, and had this huge revelation. It says two years goes by, and he is driving somewhere, and he realizes, I haven't been to the doctor in two years. Nobody in my family has been to the doctor. And he says, I didn't even read a healing scripture. All I was doing is meditating on the love and the goodness of God. And all of a sudden, things are functioning in our bodies. Maybe that's what you need, amen? Maybe that's what the seed needs, is instead of you just throwing more seed on there with healing scriptures, maybe you just got to shower your heart with, uh, with, the, with the love of God. Water that seed just with the love of God, that everything that God does comes from his grace and from his love towards you. It doesn't come from the fact that you read your Bibles every day, amen? Okay, and then here's the last point. Does your heart need constant? Well, I, I should say it, actually rephrase it. Like, check your heart. Does it need to be weeded? Do you need to pull up the weeds? Amen? And that's, I would say, like, that, those are areas where, like, well, my wife says this, like, and I, and I learned it uh, the hard way just by gardening and seeing what's going on out there, that you know that the ground never stays naked? Like, if you're not planting anything, weeds, like, you don't, it's just crazy, like, how weeds come up. Like, even when you're trying to plant the good stuff, weeds still come up, you know? And it just won't stay naked. So, and I think that's really a lesson for, for you and I. If you're not checking your heart, and if you're not weeding stuff constantly, things will start to come up. You may just not notice it until it's huge. Last example. Uh, and, and I just wanted to share this. Uh, this is about my uh, grandfather who passed away in 2021, uh, just before, you know, with COVID lockdown happened and, and before we had an opportunity to go back uh, in 2021, July, we were able to go back, but he passed away in, in May. And uh, I wasn't there uh, to, to, to see it or to even to be at the funeral, unfortunately. But my parents told me uh, the story. I mean, I was in, you know, Skyping with them every other day, and, and they told me what happened. And I just want to share this story, because I, I really think it just kind of ties into here really well. But basically, just so you know, my, my grandfather, I mean, we are first-generation Christians. Uh, my parents got saved first, then me and my brothers did, and we were, at that time, we were 18 years old. And our grandfather, he got saved a couple of years after that. And when I say that he got saved, he was a very anti-religious uh, man, just, just so you can picture him, that he never, he, I think he really struggled with things because he had some religious friends who were attending the Catholic Church back in Eastern Europe, and he would come home, I think it was his neighbors or something, and he came home from church and, and what they did is, like, in the apartment complex they were living, like, the utilities were, like, running on the same-ish line, but they knew how to, like, hook it uh, so they would pull on the neighbor, you know, like, the electricity bill would pull on the neighbor's electricity. So they would come home from the church, and, like, they switch it over, and it was, like, 
that's what this religion is about, that, that my grandpa saw that. So he like, it's like, I want nothing to do with this, like this God of yours and you know, like, so he just had a really hard time accepting that. Plus, I should say his, his dad was an alcoholic, I think, who abused them. Uh, and he was, a, he was, in worldly measures, he was a good, hardworking grandfather. I mean, he was in the Soviet Union, but he was, you know, he was diligent and he was hardworking. So in his mind, it was like, I'm a good man. Why do I need this God that you're talking about? Like, I did everything right. I took care of my family. You know, I took care of the grandkids. Like, I did everything the right way. I don't need God, right? So when we got saved, however, like I said, we just kept preaching to him and capturing the love of God. And two years went by, and, and his heart just eventually changed. And when I say change, <laughs> let, hopefully my grandfather won't mind this if I say this, but I just remember this picture of him that when I was t- like 12 years old and my, I was watching my youngest brother, again, this is before he was saved, my youngest brother picked up a toy and like whacked me in the back of the head. And I started crying and I was like, ah, like, grandpa, like, like he hit me, like that really hurt. And, and, I, and I touched my, my head. I'm like, is it bleeding? Is it bleeding? And he says, let me look at it. It's not bleeding. You're fine. And I was like, okay, okay. And then I'm like, you know, like it's still hurting. I'm like, and I look at my finger and I see blood. I was like, grandpa, you lied. It's bleeding. And when I said that, boom, I got slapped in the face so hard. Don't you ever tell me that I lied. I never lied in my whole life. I've been an honest man. And I was like, oh my God, I was really crying. You know, I mean, like, I, <laughs> now my head is bleeding and my face is sore. Uh, but that's, that's just like, he was, he was like rough, but like in, in like a righteous way, you know, like, like, and when he got saved though, like, I mean, his life changed. When I say changed, it was like, I, you know, we would have church service in my town and I would stand up to speak and I didn't even say a word. And my grandpa was bawling like, oh, little Peter is speaking (laughs) and he just can't contain himself. And I'm like, that's not my, the grandpa that I remember from my childhood memories. And so he got baptized. He got baptized in the Holy Spirit. He got baptized in water. I mean, the change we saw in his life was absolutely amazing. Amazing. But that was, even now, but that was about 10 years ago now before he passed. Or 10, you know, he passed in 2021. It was 10 years uh, before that or maybe nine so nine years ago, you know, you see this big change, and it's awesome, it's undeniable, it's, it's God. But then nine years go by, and then he, um, uh, he got, uh, I think, dementia or, or, or whatever, and then and they moved into a senior facility uh, with my uh, grandmother, and then all of a sudden his condition just started to worsen, and then he was basically on his deathbed. And this is where the story gets kind of really interesting, that... Um, now he's to a state, and it, it basically declined from he was doing very well to bad quickly, which, if you ask me in itself, it's kind of a, uh, you know, he was old, so it's a, it's a grace that it wasn't like extended for a long time. But so if he went from good to bad, and then, but when he got to bad, he stayed there, and he just wouldn't pass away for, we're talking a few weeks. But my way my mom described it was that he would be like a skeleton. Like, like it's like, you know, the walking dead kind of, you know, if you've seen that show. Like, like he is like basically just skin and bones and he is there kind of mentally, but then he's out. 
It's almost like he's in between worlds, like he's just not passing over. And my dad remembers one day where he actually, he, 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 go, he went in to see him. And again, this was still COVID restrictions. So what happened is actually they tied him to a bed because he was probably just kind of like delusional and like, you know, he's ripping some of the... But again, this is Eastern Europe. They tie him to a bed and then they leave him. Uh, let me just put in a side plug for uh, socialistic healthcare. You don't want to have that, okay? Like, I've, I've seen it. It, it. it doesn't work. It's not good. Uh, and my dad is, is basically a doctor. Um, and he goes in there. And, and, and he says, like, well, one, he yelled at everyone in there. And he's like, what are you doing to him? Um, but then he just, just, he sees him and he, he was talking to him. And he said, he looked at his face and it was like, it, it wasn't even, I don't think he was drugged up, but it almost was like when you see someone who is half dead and you're already seeing into the supernatural, right? And it, was, it wasn't pretty. It was like he was scared. His facial expression were not good, like, like, what is going on, you know, like, just scared for his life. So, like, my dad didn't even know he went home, and he was just praying. He was, like, praying, like, Lord, what is going on? Well, one, why isn't he passing away? Why aren't you taking him? But two, like, what is going on? And then the Lord spoke to my dad, and he felt he got, like, you got to go in and, and pray with him for forgiveness that he would let go of certain things. And so my dad was like, okay. So the next day he makes an appointment. He goes in. He, uh, and my grandpa is actually like really, he couldn't speak at that point, but he was conscious. And like, he says, you know, squeeze my hand if, 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 if you agree, kind of deal. And he goes in and he sees my grandpa and he's, he's actually smiling. He's like, wow, grandpa, it looks like you're doing really well. So he gets on his knees and he starts praying and he, he prays, he prays, you know, just to be safe. You know, he prays the gospel, the salvation prayer with my grandpa again. But then he says, Grandpa, I feel like the Lord is telling me you need to forgive to certain people. And if you agree and you forgive, you know, just squeeze my hand. And, and he smiled at him and he squeezes his hand. And then, and then he says, you know, you got to forgive your dad, your earthly dad who like abused you. And will you agree with that? And he would squeeze, squeeze his hand. And then he says, you got to forgive your wife, my, my grandmother, because my grandmother has like really strong personality. And my grandpa... I can just see, now looking back, there were things that were like kind of under the rug, like lots of things. And, and my grandpa wouldn't talk about it, but my, my grandma was just very pushy in certain ways. He's like, you know, you got to forgive Momo. That was uh, my grandma's nickname. He's like, would you agree? And squeeze the hand. And he just kind of went through a few names. And, and, my, and it was awesome. And then my dad left, and he got a phone call that he passed away that night. Now, the reason I bring that story up is... This that I was sharing with you, the hardness of the heart and the soil. I'm not saying this is the case, but I will make a case for it at least, and I'll let you judge it. Is it possible that you can even harden your heart, that it even push, squeezes out that good seed of the gospel message? I'm not just talking about healing. I'm not just talking about provision or whatever you're believing for, but the actual message of the gospel. Because... That's kind of what I saw, that my grandpa had totally accepted the Lord, totally changed, and was awesome. I could see the change in his life. And then nine years go by, and things get, you know, weeds just start growing up, and it may even has the power to choke out the seed of the gospel from his heart. I don't know. I don't know if that's what it was. I'm just, I just know that this is 
This is what we experienced there. So let's just, and I'll finish here, but again, my point was, you may not be having a seed problem, you may have a soil problem. So just search your heart. In Proverbs 4.23 says this, guard your heart because off it flows the issues of life. Father God, we just thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we just open up to you, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are the great helper. You are um, our advocate. We just pray that if there's anything in our heart, where that, that area where it may be hardened, Lord, we just open it up to you. Holy Spirit, just speak to us. Just reveal it to us. Um, your voice is so gentle. It's so loving. It's never condemning. It's always convicting because you just want the best for us. Lord, we just open up to you. And anyone who is listening or even watching online, Lord, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you speak to them, that you want us to succeed. You want us to grow. You want your kingdom, kingdom to advance. And we just open up to you, uh, speak to us. Let us be the good soil, Lord. We want to be in that upper 25% out of the four grounds. We want to be the good soil that will bear good fruit, 30, 60, and 100-fold. In Jesus' name, amen.